Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. Welcome. My name is Nasser Pasha. And I'm Matt Staub, two attorneys practicing in California, Texas, New York, and Illinois. And this is where we cover business in the news and add our legal twist to that news. And today we're talking about Grubhub and their food delivery service and the legal implications that they've kind of ran into. So Matt, have you ever actually used any of these food delivery services? There's a ton of them, Grubhub, yeah. Uber Eats. And- yeah, I was thinking about it. I don't think, so I've definitely used Uber Eats. I know that because I was one of the test people for the San Diego market. So, and I've used it sporadically since then. Grubhub, I don't think I have. I'm not, yeah, I'm almost, I, I guess I would have had the app in my phone on some, at some point. So I, I guess I definitely have it, but I have used Uber Eats. It seems to come up with me when I'm traveling. Like if you're in a hotel and it's like, even if you have a car available to you or you don't, it's just like, for some reason that's, that's come up. But then also lately when I'm at the office, I've been doing that, but it's such a waste of money. Because, I mean, they add on so many fees to it. And we're going to talk about how they're adding fees for the restaurant too. But, you know, just even for the consumer, like there's a flat fee of a a delivery fee, then they get a percentage of this and there's tip involved, of course. And so it it adds up pretty quick. I mean, for a single serving, it's kind of tough to justify the cost sometimes. Yeah. And I I mean, I don't know if you're the same way, but I mean, I, well, a couple of things. One, I basically, if I eat, if we have food at a restaurant, it's very rarely sitting down at this point. Right. And, but if we go pick it up, I, I mean, I actually kind of enjoy that because I, one, I don't mind driving and doing all that. And I guess you can confirm if everything's correct as well, but I, it's a, it's a nice little break to get out of, you know, get out of the house and not have a ton of responsibility. From a parenting perspective, at least. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I've used, I've been using DoorDash lately. I even signed up for their monthly fee. Somehow you're supposed to save money. I don't know if I did, but honestly, in preparation for this podcast, I just felt compelled to just cancel my membership. I forwarded you, Matt, my, the screenshot of the email I got. Oh, that Not was because, from you? <laughs> that, was, that, that was from me. Yeah. I just showed you a random, yeah, I, I did, you probably didn't read the details that I actually had my name in there because like. I don't know what it was. It just feels like, look, if I if I want some food, a lot of these places have delivery services already. First of all, eating out so often is not that healthy anyway. And if I have 15 minutes to eat or 20 minutes to eat, then I have another five or 10 to go get something, you know, around the corner or what have you. Well, it probably takes a little more time than that. But I mean, that's the main thing. That's why I end up ordering something is because I feel like I don't have time, but yeah, um, yeah that's why I just need to make time for it. And we'll we'll get to the actual substance of this episode, but you eventually. <laughs> one, one thing you'll enjoy because you just mentioned the healthy piece. I'm I'm pretty sure the last time I used any of the used Uber Eats was to go to get um, one of your favorites and your wife's favorites, Cafe Gratitude. Oh yes, very good. So give them a shout out. Well, well, let's see if they actually. Um, I wonder if they actually like uh, these food delivery services. It really depends. I so I mean that's the bottom line. There's uh, from what are from in preparing for this, it seems like there's a good fit for some restaurants and maybe maybe not others. In particular, where this kind of came up was a lot of websites are experiencing commissions being paid 
for phone orders that didn't actually occur. And there's actually a pretty hefty class action lawsuit, or they want to make it into a class action lawsuit going on in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I think it was recently discovered, but it's dating back for, for years and years. And it's kind of a, you know, we'll get into the specifics, but Grubhub is allegedly, allegedly has some sort of, I don't know if you even want to call it an algorithm because based on the allegations, it seemed like there's, there's much of anything, but they have some process in place that or algorithm that can determine, you know, when somebody, when a customer has called into a restaurant and places an order and when that order should then be a cut of that should be given to Grubhub as a result of the customer finding the restaurant, if, if that makes sense. So, I mean, the main reason being that I wasn't aware of until I was reading this is that Grubhub has set up a bunch of different, well, allegedly has set up a bunch of different domains for restaurants. And then also they use separate phone numbers, which, you know, that that's not uncommon for businesses. I even for, you know, businesses to set up to see where inbounding calls are coming from, but it's the way that Grubhub's going about it. That's obviously the problem here. Yeah, exactly. And, and you mentioned the algorithm and you're right. I, it, even how the founder describes it doesn't seem he he left some things hidden, but it doesn't seem there's much to it. What they do is they set up a site or it's through the grubhub.com site as well, set up a unique number. It's routed through there. They actually record the calls and somehow they determine whether or not that an order was placed. And I, I bet you, frankly, the algorithm is like, has something to do with the location of the call or, uh, or the calling number and in combination with also the length of the of the actual recording and things of that nature. They may even, since they recorded, they may even uh, transcribe and use voice recognition technology. But I wonder that because what the lawsuit says is that restaurants are being charged for orders that don't occur, including calls where the, you know, a, a, a customer could just be asking a question or making a reservation and these kinds of things, which are obviously not things that Grubhub is supposed to be charging. And of course, Grubhub's response, they have a response and it seems to, they seem to be saying that's putting ownership on the restaurant because they have the ability to uh, listen to these recordings and, and, and challenge it accordingly. But, you know, it's, it's, what are they supposed to do? Listen to every single recording? Does it make sense? Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point. Well, not the whole point, but one of the main points of even using a service like this for the restaurant is to take something, no, no pun intended here, take something off their plate. And not have to deal with that. I mean, obviously, it's it's also beneficial to drive in customers where they might not have had some before. But and the whole point is, you take this portion of it, which is you, the, you know, from the the time of the customer decides they want to eat there to when they get their food, their Grubhub's taking a portion of that, and the t- that's the time when the person actually places the order, and that can alleviate one of the employees at the restaurant then to do something else, or to, I guess even have one less employee. So, I mean, that it's kind of counter counterproductive to require the restaurant then to do their own audit on the phone calls to determine when orders are made and then match it up. I mean, that would, that would honestly take longer than not even using Grubhub to begin with. Right. And, and by the way, you mentioned no pun intended. I don't think there's any pun on this show, especially coming from you. That's not intended. Just making an, a side note there. It, it, it was intended in the sense it, it wasn't intended when I first thought of it but then once i did i guess it was intended so however you want to classify it i'm pretty sure that what's the intentions there it's there so and, and here, here's the thing though is that 
especially people that are in the business, they know that these restaurants can have a very thin margin sometimes, especially in markets where if, if you have a retail location that has a pretty high rent, a, a particular example we were reading, in fact, it was a story done by the newfoodeconomy.org. They did a nice little uh, survey of this particular issue. And they interviewed a, a, a restaurant owner where they were being charged um, $8,000 per month for, for Grubhub, and their, their monthly rent was $7,000. So it was, it was basically uh, paying a, a another, another uh, rental, a, mo- a monthly rental for them. And so it gives you an idea that those of you who are not participating in this business or you know, understand the, the economics of it, they can, the fees can get pretty high. And, and again, this is on top of the fees that the customers are paying as well. Yeah, and you know, particularly it's it's pretty common knowledge. Not co- oh, I guess I shouldn't say that, but it's somewhat well known that a lot of times restaurants usually don't make too much money in the actual food itself, especially ones that have alcohol. I mean, that's typically for a way for restaurants to you know really uh, profit. Or if not, then you have restaurants that have multiple locations. Like my point is, it's it's very difficult for a single restaurant that doesn't serve alcohol to, to make, to really just to make it. And that's why most restaurants fail within, I don't know the statistics, it's like 80 or 90% fail within five years or something like that. Yeah. It's an incredibly hard business, but anyway, so, so Grubhub is getting into trouble in that area, but another area of complaint, which is also related to this phone number business and Matt touched on it is that they are creating what are called, what they call microsites. And to such an extent, I mean, they, literally thousands of domains they've been registering. And there's actually a list that people have procured. And, and I'm just looking through here. It just goes on. Uh, 23,000 domains of the, of the last count about a month ago. And basically, there's different anecdotal conversations about anecdotal evidence from different restaurant owners where even just talking to Grubhub, Grubhub will actually register a domain similar to them that will be rerouted to their own website. And then when when they actually sign up, within their agreement itself, and I've, we've only seen snippets, I haven't actually seen the actual whole agreement, it might be a confidential document, but we haven't been able to get our hands on it. But within the actual agreement, it allows Grubhub to register what they call these microsites, including using domain names that are similar or exact to the restaurant name. Yeah, it's interesting. I'd never, I never really thought about that before, but it, it makes sense. And, you know, it's, it's not an uncommon thing for just in general for online businesses, because, you know, I, I know, for example, um, you know, if there's some sort of directory, like, let's take the example of a law firm. So there's legal directories. And if you click on so-and-so's what appears to be so-and-so's name or, or picture or what have you, it gets redirected to it directs you or links you to a site that looks like the attorney site, but it's just, it's not, it's one that's a, you know, a, just a very bare bones website that's been put in place. And that's how these you know, referral networks can track that and then charge the firm. So that concept in and of itself is, is nothing strange, but I guess from what it appears at least in the complaint, I don't think these businesses were aware of this or, I mean, I don't, I don't know if consent is the right word because 
if it's in the agreement, then maybe they did consent to it. But it's it's clear something that uh, seems a little bit deceptive. Yeah, I, and and that's kind of the problem with people that are complaining about this is that if you sign this agreement, it, it's relatively clear. I mean, if I was a lawyer drafting, I'd probably make it a little bit more clear. I mean, again, we're, we only have the snippet. In fact, let me just read it out to you. It says, GA Scrubhub may create, maintain, and operate a microsite and obtain the URL for such microsite on restaurant's behalf, which restaurant grants Grubhub the right to do. And I'm just wondering, I bet you there's something else in there that talks about using the restaurant's name and marketing and so forth. And sure. in a combination of both, it allows them to do this. But if you sign this agreement, then it's kind of hard for you to really push for anything. But otherwise, it could be definitely construed as a trademark infringement. There's also this concept that it's kind of nice to talk about in theory, but in practical circumstances, rarely occurs too often, which is a concept called cyber squatting. I, I, I should take that back. It does happen quite often. It's just something that usually is resolved through a, a mediation process, an arbitration process through the, uh, what is it called? The DNS service. I forgot what it's called. But so we don't actually end up getting involved in, in that too often. But uh, point yeah. is, is that when... If a third party registers a domain name that matches your trademark and would be construed as tra uh, trademark infringement or is somehow uh, registered in a way that is designed to be done in bad faith, somehow intent to profit from it or divert customers from you, mm -hmm. et cetera, then you can actually get that domain name transferred under the law to you and actually be able to sue for damages possibly as well. Yeah, you hit you, that last point was the critical one is, and I think that's what Grubhub's relying on. At least I assume so. Is that, yeah, we, we did this, but you know, we set up the site in relation to the trademark for the, for the business, but we did we didn't do so in bad faith. I mean, if anything, they right. agreed to it by what's in the what's in this contract. So, you know, I I don't know how fruitful that argument's going to be, but it is it is out there, and again, just kind of depends on what what these different uh, restaurants agreed to, right. And if you look, if you look at going back to the beginning of the topic about this class action lawsuit, that's one thing that they hit on quite a bit. If you notice in their language, they keep they keeps coming back to the contract language and referring it to as their form contract. And what I think they're trying to get at is that they they have this contract that is designed in a way that is hard to read. People that are you know laymen's who are signing this agreement, which I'm sure it's an electronic form, don't actually know exactly what they're signing. But unfortunately, this isn't even a consumer contract. Yeah, I know. Um, I think they in the class action they did try to rely on some kind of statutory, some kind of deceptive business practice and consumer fraud. But yeah, I I just wonder if that if that actually applies in this case because we're not talking about consumers here. We're talking about business owners or restaurant owners that are signing this agreement, and so it's not like you can just say, "Well, I didn't know what I was signing." That's in, in some ways, that's no longer an excuse where it may be for a consumer-based contract. And I'm, you're right. So the, uh, what you're referring to is the, they're alleging the violation of the Illinois Consumer Fraud and Deceptive Business Practices Act, or as some people call it, the CFDP. Uh, I'm too I, I don't call it that. <laughs> yeah, if, they, if I'm going through it now, I mean, it's basically... They're saying that it's in violation because it's failing to, to Grubhub is failing to disclose its standard form contracts of restaurants, 
misrepresenting that commissions only be charged. So, I mean, nothing, it's pretty, pretty, you know, stuff you would expect, I guess, to see out of this. I mean, it's basically the deceptive piece is the one that is this, the deceptive is the key word in this, both in the statute and what they're alleging. Right. And, and a lot of times these kinds of uh, deceptive business practices and every state pretty much has them unfair competition. Sometimes it's called in some states. A lot of times they're throw-ins, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's the third count on the list. Not that that's determinative, but point being is that you, you really got to know what you're signing. And even if it's, for example, I mean, how many of our clients, they'll sign these standard so-called form contracts and, with big companies. And a lot of times on one hand, you don't really have the negotiating room, but on the other hand, sometimes you do, and more often, you know, you do you actually do more often than you think. And then second is at least be aware of the issues so that you can protect yourself against it. And maybe it might be enough to not even engage in that kind of contract. And I'm talking about every contract from, you know, dealing with credit card merchants to software licenses to, again, things that are, are relatively common for all businesses to sign, yet they don't necessarily have their attorney review to it because they think of it, oh, this is a standard form contract. Yeah. And I mean, the bottom line is there's always going to be risk in contracts and it comes down to identifying what the risks are and then accepting, you know, either changing them or accepting the possible outcomes of those risks. So it's, uh, if I had to guess with these, I mean, it was these, these contracts for these restaurants, um, you know, again, going back to what I said earlier, it's, Restaurants are pretty busy to begin with, and so I imagine they aren't going to spend their restaurant owners, I should say, or the decision makers, not going to spend their time reading these these contracts, especially when their competitors might be doing it too. And so it's like, well, we we need to get in the game as well because we need to be on equal footing. So they get this, they might scan through it, might, but yeah, I mean, they're it's probably a situation too where you know if, if they went back to Grubhub with any. You know any significant change, any material changes outside of like pricing or or something like that? I, I can't imagine Grubhub. Well, I shouldn't say that. Grubhub probably would just say no. We don't need your business. We're not going to deal with that. But I could be wrong. Right. Yeah. So what do you think? I mean, should I keep using these food delivery guys? I don't. I honestly don't know much about. Just talking about Grubhub. I assume they're all the same. I mean, they all have to get their, you know, commission somehow. Well, and I. What do I you mean. Think? It's so, and and what I do know, it's yes and no. I mean, they're so different ones offer different restaurant options, obviously. So, um, trying to think. So when I used Uber Eats, I'm trying to think of the, the one I used the most frequently was probably Kebab Shop, which I know you're a semi fan of in San Diego. And they're on Uber Eats, but I don't know if they're on Grubhub or the other ones because I know some restaurants are on all the apps and some of them are all exclusive to ones. Like I know it was a big deal like when McDonald's went on Uber Eats. I think I'm think I'm getting that right. So yeah, I but mean... Then, and there's some that participate in... I don't know exactly how it works, but there's some that get cooperation with the restaurants and some that do not. Like in the sense like... I, I think it was Postmates where it's just... it's You're literally just paying the delivery fee and there may not be a commission... And they'll go anywhere for you, practically, whatever they have in their directory. Right. I think, I, I think you're right. I think Postmates is a straight up, well, I guess they're all third parties, but they're, I mean, it's basically like you're paying somebody somebody to just do the order for you and the restaurant is right. 
not they have no yeah exactly idea whether it's yeah yeah because exactly. i i know i i know at least with uber eats like they at least when they were first starting in san diego i i can't speak for it now but i know they were like physically going into all of the restaurants and getting them to sign up because i know they're also that's why all of, all of their photos looked pretty much all the same kind of the same same had the same look to them obviously if different foods but it was supposed to be you you know sign up this new restaurant have a photographer come in and you know take a similar photo so everything kind of looked the same but yeah it's uh so i forget what i was saying before oh so different food options and then you know it's just different options and then different uh service levels i mean i've talked to people that have used a bunch of different i mean i know people that have you know five different restaurant delivery things on their phone or apps on their phone and it's like well this one's good and i use this one for this and these you know <laughs> yeah. this one's usually quicker i mean at the end of the day it's probably you know marginal difference because isn't it also a little weird for other people to be handling your food i mean i know that sounds weird when you're ordering out but it's different when you just have random drivers yeah, just sitting it. and it's sitting in the person's car, car. For, yeah i mean yeah. Cause it's at weird, least, right? You know, it is. <laughs> I have a couple, a couple stories for my office because we're 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 right next to a a restaurant that will frequently use the driveway of our office to park for the, the Uber Eats. People park there. I've had a couple interesting stories of that, and one that was not the most sanitary thing uh, that I've seen. So, me. yeah, I'm not going to tell you or any, or say it on here, but yeah, you're you're exactly right, and so. It's not like it's a, you know, pizza delivery where they get the pizza. You know, it's someone who's so affiliated with the restaurant. They put the pizzas in the uh, those be- the delivery bags and you know whatever and move on there. So yeah, it's weird. And from what my experience, it's mostly been, you know, the service hasn't been too great. And it, it just, I mean, no, I shouldn't say that it, it hasn't been great, but also like it's just long times regardless. It's just I've always found it's easier for me to just go pick That's it up what myself. I was say. It's, it's yeah, you use, it's a quite a bit of long time anyway, so you have to plan ahead. And that's my problem is like I, you know, I get so busy, I have no idea when I'm going to be able to eat anyway. So it's like I just end up skipping it because how am I supposed? Yeah, it's just going to get cold by if it sits here. You know, here, so. here's the pro tip for the pro, tip, the pro for tip for this episode. Yeah. If you want to do takeout, what you do is you go to the restaurant order in person and then almost always get it for you quicker than if you call it in. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. There's one, one of our, one of my favorite restaurants. I mean, I, I discovered that cause we'd call in, it would be, you know, never ready. Thir- until you get there. No, it would be like, no, they, they'd quote, they would quote you accurately. It'd be like 30 minutes, ah. 40 minutes. And then I started going there and ordering in person and I, I'm not even joking. It would be, most of the times under five minutes. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to start trying that out. Yeah. No, I mean, there's one spot where we should have just started that out that should have been, in fact, we can just edit the entire podcast and just have that advice in there. It, I mean, at worst, it's the same amount of time, but I would say, you know, obviously I can't, I don't know for sure, but I would say, you know, 80% of the time, 80, 90% of the time, it's quicker to do that than to, but, and then of course you're, you know, sitting there just waiting in a restaurant trying to kill right. time. So that's yeah. the trade off. And I've definitely done that too, but I don't know. That is a little bit quicker. Well, I'm getting hungry. So I'm going to go wait at a restaurant somewhere. <laughs> you can do the Uber Eats dine-in. Oh, that's right. Yeah. They just, uh, 
which I don't even I don't even understand that. That's like a on a different level of obscurity. Yeah, it's uh, you know, for real, I'll just say mention it real quick. So I wasn't even aware of it till I was reading about it. It's apparently you go on the Uber app, Uber Eats app. It's only in a few cities. Go on there, you collect the, select the dine in option. They'll make the food, let you know when it's ready, and then you go in and eat it in the in the restaurant. And Uber Uber Eats, I don't think they don't take a cut of anything. I mean, there's some allegations that they've up to the price, some of the prices in the app. And so maybe indirectly they have, but there's no, well, that's what I was going to say. I feel like the price is always higher. Anyway, good. Yeah, no, there, there's um, my point is there's no like service fee. And if you tip, it goes to the restaurant itself because as it should, because you're eating in the restaurant, but like, sure. I, I just see a lot of issues with that in general, just timing everything. I mean, especially busy restaurants, it's all about, yeah, you know, like turning over tables, getting a seat. Yeah, it's yeah, it seems strange. But no. all this just to get food in our mouths. Uber Eats pool that was another thing. I've actually done that before. It was terrible because Uber like, Eats pool. Oh yeah, so like basically <laughs> the, the same concept of that's really weird. Too. So they basically pick up. I, I mean, I think what the idea, the concept they have in mind is like, all right, these three people ordered from this restaurant and they all live in the general vicinity of each other. So we'll go pick it up, deliver to a, then B, then C. But if like, what if I was C and I ordered first, it just, you know, doesn't, I have problems with that too. But uh, again, I haven't, I haven't used any of these. And I thought they would do that anyway, but I guess they don't. But. Um, I think, you know, it's actually now that you say, I think they actually were doing that. And then they took some heat for it. So they, and people were like, I don't want my food mixing in the same backseat of another, <laughs> someone else's. So. Well, it's just delivery times. I mean, that's all. Right. So then you can see it when the people drop it off. There's uh, like multiple different bags. It's like, okay, well, obviously I'm not the only order here. So yeah, I think well, we've complained all right. enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for joining us on a classic episode of Legally Sound Smart Business. Yeah, I can't say when this next episode will be for us. Might be a little bit of, of time, but we'll try to make it sometime in the near future. But until then, oh, we're not we're not recording at the hospital, respectively. <laughs> no. Well, maybe I don't know. We can talk about it offline. All right, very good. But, All right, man. Yep. Keep it sound. Keep it smart. This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts Nasser Pasha and Matt Stop. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.